Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. Football is here, and my name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram, Aaron underscore Dugan. We have a fun show planned for you guys today. Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football, is going to join us. Going to have some historical context for this particular SEC season. Going to talk Brian Kelly, Billy Napier with him. We're going to talk Urban Meyer, actually about Urban Meyer with him. Um, Yeah, exactly. We're going to talk about the nine-game conference schedule. with That that news sort of broke, so we'll discuss that a little bit later on as well. Uh, We have Nick De La Torre from On3 covering the Florida Gators. He just literally toured the facilities uh, and has been at practice. The Gators just had their second scrimmage. So where, what's going on with the Florida Gators and what does the new facility look like? So we'll dive into all of that a little bit later on. So two guests today on the show and Aaron Dugan, we get to talk about an SEC football game that is going to take place on an actual football field this weekend. I cannot wait. I'm so excited. It's this weird like push-pull of its how is it already here slash it feels like it's been forever since we had an actual football game to talk about. I I, I don't feel the uh, how is it already here thing yet. Uh, maybe I will like in two weekends when I have to work a whole lot. But uh, oh. this weekend, I'm excited about just kicking back late on a Saturday night and watching a little SEC after dark out on the West Coast, uh, out in the islands. I can't wait. It's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, and of course, we'll debate the CBS theme song because there was huge news in the Big Ten with their television contract with CBS, which of course is no longer going to be where the SEC will be played. Some in a couple people of... are totally mad, bro. I, and I, I listen, I understand that's a great theme song. It's a great theme song. So we'll figure out what to do with that here coming up in just a second. So we've got Nick De La Torre covering the Florida Gators a little bit later on. We got Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football. We got to preview a football game, talk nine game conference schedule. But I want to start with a I don't know if this is an interesting question, an odd question, a totally out of left field, wrong, in a, in cor- incorrect question. I don't know. I'll be happy to tell you. But I know you're the person to ask. <laughs> and I don't know why I've been feeling this way over the last couple of weeks. Oh, God. Where's this but, going? But I feel like Georgia's underrated. Oh, that I could feel- have gone in so many different directions. I know. I know. I'm relieved. <laughs> it, it had nothing to do with my digestive tract. Everything to do with the Georgia Bulldogs. I feel like they're sort of underrated. Yes, I know they're number three in the polls and they're picked by everyone to win the, you know, the East. And I'll ask Tony this question a little bit later on, too. But like, I feel kind of like Georgia's not getting enough credit right now. And I don't know why I feel this way. What are you, are you basing that on their, I mean, you're obviously not basing that on their win loss, like their win loss. So it couldn't be that. I mean, you're talking about like media hype and chirp around them. Are you talking about, what do you like? What maybe. criteria are you basing that on? Um, you're not some, hearing enough. It's, I think maybe that's what it is. It's some, so they're the defending national champs with arguably the best roster in all of college football with starting quarterback returning, which is part of the equation because even Georgia fans don't all love Stetson Bennett, which is stupid to me, but whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. It can't be like their national ranking because they're number three in the polls. I would right. have them too, but I guess that doesn't that doesn't really count as underrated. Um, yes, they're going to be picked to go 12-0. and 0 in the, in the, it's, I, I, I'm with you, but I just don't think that they are being talked about enough and, and in the same way that any other normal defending national champion who returns their coach, their quarterback, and one of the best offensive lines in America, and one of the best rosters in America. Like, there's no reason really for Georgia to take a huge step back. Yes, I know 15 players got drafted, but they're just 
I don't know. Like, I don't think they're getting run, and I think they deserve more run. I think they can win the national championship, and they're not getting run. I don't know. Are you picking up on a vibe? I think you're like tapping into collective football consciousness right now. It's the zeitgeist that I'm upset with, Aaron. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Because it's really not, there's really nothing on paper. You just named everything on paper that Georgia has absolutely not been count. Would We could not count them as underrated for. But I think that you feel an overall underrated vibe towards Georgia. I think people are are just assuming they're going to take a big step back and that Bama is the clear-cut easy front runner, and that Ohio State's clearly number two. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Georgia is going to play Alabama in the, in the SEC title game. They're probably going to play in the national championship game. And I wouldn't be surprised if Georgia wins the national championship again. And I don't feel like anyone is saying that out loud. Do you, when did you get back here? Couple, like, like, you mean like when did I f- feel like I felt this? <laughs> when did, <laughs> Nobody when, makes me bleed my own blood. How, Nobody. How are you feeling about what you're thinking? What are you thinking about <laughs> how you're feeling? No, when did you get back to this, like, Last, I don't think you were screaming Georgia might. I don't think you were thinking Georgia would win the national championship a couple weeks ago, were you? No, but I think I've always I've always felt that they were on par with Alabama. Like I'm giving mm-hmm. Bama the edge, like every other rational human being. Right. But I think that there's this there's just this whole like people are just not talking about them. They're just being overlooked. And now that the season is here, they're not a talking point. They're not a thing that we discuss. And I think. To not mention them with Alabama on the same sentence playing platform is just stupid. I think it's stupid. It's not a knock on Bama. Like, they're great. I just think it's dumb to be like, ah, Georgia lost everything. They're not going to be as good. But what an amazing position for Georgia to be in, to be the defending national championship and not like, and almost get that, like, the benefit that the underdog team has. I mean, they're far from that. Don't get me wrong, but just. You, you know, Alabama, you do anything wrong, you're in the deficit. I mean, Georgia's kind of sitting pretty right now. It is rat Rat poison poison. at its finest. And Kirby Smart, here's the one person that's totally fine with this. Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart loves loves this. He's like, oh, you guys think we're not going to win the national championship? Let me serve that up on a platter to my team. Like, he loves that this is how they're being treated. Yeah, they're sitting pretty right now. And it's not even that disrespectful. They're number three, like in the whole country, like by everybody. It's it's kind of odd, but I, I just say it's just a vibe that I'm picking up on. And Big I think vibe pe- guy. And I peep I think people better be careful. I think Georgia's gonna whip that ass most of the season. So I think that's fair. Okay. All right. So I'm not that crazy. You're right. not that crazy. No, I mean it's it's interesting that you point that out. I mean, I think you're I think you're right. We're hearing a lot less about them. And if I were them, I would not be mad about it. Yep. Bingo. Um, and again, we, when you're talking about national championships, we're talking about rarefied air. And what we do on this show is cover the nuances of that rarefied air. And I feel like Georgia's like just nobody's talking about just skating on through like, oh, don't look at us. We're just the defending champs with, you know, accounting bro playing quarterback. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Uh, so just wanted to point that out and ask you that question. So, yep. uh, all right. Before we get to Tony Barnhart, we're going to preview the Vanderbilt Hawaii game coming up in a little bit. Week zero. Got to love that. There's some news on the nine game conference schedule. So we'll discuss that after we talk with Tony Barnhart. But real quickly, like what do we see? CBS, Fox and NBC, a billion dollars to the Big Ten. It's been covered now. The ESPN deal to SEC actually looks like it's a good deal now for ESPN. It's only 300 million per year. But the real most important question (laughs) is what do we do with that epically spectacular and amazing CBS theme song, which has already been 
used by CBS to promote Big Ten games, which looks totally fucking weird. I've also seen some people parody it with the CBS theme song over like bad Big Ten plays. Like, oh, here's a punter dropping a football. Here's like, so ESPN is not going to buy it from CBS and play it on ESPN. So does it just need to be retired altogether? What do we do with this thing? I mean, it's a good question. People are pretty heated about it. And before we go, before we make a final decision, since we get to pick what happens with the song, most people don't know that. Yep, they actually let us. Braden and I make the final decision on that. Um, people compared it to uh, breaking up with someone and then giving your new significant other that sweatshirt. People compared it to like, yeah. Uh, okay. oh, Peter Burns said when Coca-Cola tries to relaunch as new Coke. You know, it's just like there, people. Yeah. there's all these mean tweets. I mean, they're not really that mean. It doesn't ones, stick. It doesn't feel like CBS theme song with Big Ten. It doesn't stick. Well, right? I guess fake it till you make it. Next up, Maryland, USC. Da, 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 <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is what dreams are made of, folks. There's some funny tweets out there. You should go look at them. But um, I, <laughs> I don't know the answer to this. It definitely feels wrong to me. I mean, we're also super bratty, like. Yeah. about sec and i know everyone else hates everyone else that's not an sec fan hates that however maybe there is maybe they could just they start they start their own documentary style series only about sec greats and games and just use it for that people are gonna people are gonna bitch until the cows come home with using it with big 10 it's just not gonna go away it's not gonna it's gonna like and i'm even give it good games like don't forget about like the joke that everyone makes like illinois versus northwestern like forget about that um, like Wisconsin versus Iowa are two ranked teams that are going to probably be playing in that like three thirty time slot at Eastern time. And that's the song they're going to use for that. It just doesn't like w- what, like a left guard pulling around the, with a fullback leading lead blocking on a trap is what they're going to show. Like, and I'm not trying to disrespect tight ends and fullbacks and trap plays here, but like, unless it's Uga trying to slow-mo bite an Auburn tiger player on the sideline, Oh, that ain't the right theme song for you, dude. I don't mm-hmm. know. People are never gonna. People are never gonna be cool with this. I think it needs to be. Re- if I'm, it's got to be retired. I feel like you got to retire. But if you're CBS, I'm like, I would want to retire it. Right. I wouldn't want to. I'm just saying. If I'm. Oh, you wouldn't want to retire it. I would. I would as like a. Fa- it feels wrong as a fan, but as someone in TV, it's so iconic. It's like you don't really want to give it up because you hit that like iconic intro song like one in a million times it's, and and your brain goes right to like steve spurrier versus philip fulmer like boom like that's what my brain does i i just i i know why cbs would want to keep it on that game but how many saturdays is it going to resonate i don't know i don't know i don't know it was it worked fine with like army navy because it's such an iconic game i mean that's it's true. still like that's true you know they used it with that but i during that matchup but anything else it it does it looks weird and it would sound very strange on espn like if they sold the song to espn to use for cbs and for for sec games i don't like you'd have to charge a lot of money first of all but i don't think like it wouldn't it would that wouldn't work either it's not like we just have to this is the end of a relationship we just have to acknowledge that this is the end and pull off the band-aid and be done with it and then don't look at her facebook page which is which is like don't go look at or I guess block, it's Instagram you gotta now. Block them. Yeah, don't go look at CBS Big Ten football at at, at two thirty. Like that's that's like stalking your ex's Instagram page, right? Yeah. Just just forget that it's a thing that's happening. Do not drunk it. test text CBS. 
You can't do it. It's I'm, too costly. I, I miss your organ. <laughs> Wait a second. What? That came out. That came out wrong. <laughs> what a turn that took. I wish I was funny enough to admit that that was an actual double entendre, but it wasn't. It's just the first instrument that I thought of that they played. When first they... instrument Braden thinks of organ. Well, when you when those those theme songs are all like symphony symphony like orchestra kind of deals, right? Like, yeah, not, it's not like it's it's not a guitar riff. Like, no. It was yeah. the beginning of that song is an organ, and I don't want nothing nothing to do with your organ anymore, CVS. All right. Well, I hope they don't take it too hard. But <laughs> I like that. I like that. Real double entendre there. Okay. All Actually, right. I didn't mean to do that. Enough of that. Uh, we're gonna preview Vanderbilt Hawaii. We're gonna talk Florida with Nick DeLotori. We're gonna talk nine game conference schedule. So a lot of stuff still coming up. But right now on Fringe Element, when we come back. Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football. That's all coming up next right here on Fringe Element. Mr. College Football, Tony Barnhart, welcome to the show. Good, sir. How are you, friend? Well, it's Braden, it's, it's that time of year, okay? I went out. I'm still one of the dinosaurs who, who reads the morning newspaper and picked it up this morning and felt just, just the hint of a cool breeze that tells me that football is coming. And uh, that's when football gets here. Well, that's when we know God is in His heaven. So. Yeah. Yes. I, I am. Uh, I'm in Nashville, which which you know, and it's been so humid. It has not yet had that one weekend where it smells like football on a mm-hmm. Saturday morning. We're, we're, we normally get it right near the end of August, beginning of September. So let's hope it happens here coming up, and we get a little heat break here in Nashville. Um, let's go right into uh, most of the questions today. Tony will be about the big the season coming up, teams that you like. Uh, some of the, the the state of maybe the healthiest middle class we've seen in the SEC uh-huh. fans fans relationship with coaches just normal stuff. But I got to start with the nine game conference schedule. Yep. I know you you talk to people. I have spoken to people even back in the spring meetings. Those that were voting for eight still saw the value and knew it was going to go to nine. Um, I don't know who you've spoken to, but when do you think this happens? Uh, and what do you like about going to nine games when they add Texas and Oklahoma? Well, that answers your question. It's going to happen when we know that Texas and Oklahoma are going to be in the league because you're going to you're going to make all these changes at once once they get here. Number one, you're going to come up with a different a different scheduling format. It'll be three and six rotators or one and seven. It'll be one of those two. We know that. Uh, number two, we're going to do away with divisional play. I got asked that question the other day. Those two things those two things will happen once we know. Uh, uh, once we know that Texas, Oklahoma are coming, I think they're coming not for 23, but for 24. I think that all sounds sounds about right. Um, do you think that what, what is the balance going to be? Because I think Tennessee is a perfect example. Maybe even Texas A&M is a perfect example of trying to find the balance of the new rivalries, the old rivalries, mm-hmm. this, the second tier rivalries, the three and six models, the one that I've been a proponent for. For example, Tennessee, Alabama. If you're over a certain age, I'm 40. If you're over 40, you probably think Tennessee and Alabama is extremely important. I grew up on Tennessee, Florida being more important. So mm-hmm. h- how do you think that, that that they try to figure out the balance with all of that? Well, ultimately, because of what, because of what you just said, Braden, is why I think we'll have the 3-6 model. Because let, let's take my favorite game. My favorite game in the SEC forever is Auburn and Georgia. And if you go to a one-seven model, obviously Florida would be Georgia's number one rival, right. and that meant that means that Auburn and Georgia would not be played every year, but every other year. 
I'd rather that not happen. I think there's many, many examples. You just mentioned one, Tennessee, Alabama. Fans don't want to do – they'll have a choice. Would you like to have – would you like to see the Georgia-Auburn game go away for a year or would you rather come up with a model that allows you to continue to play it every year? That's why I think the three six that among other things, our taking care of our TV friends is also one. Why I think we'll end up with a three six model. Yep, no question about it. All right, let's talk football here. And I got again, that could happen like any day now. We're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. It could it could be announced before this even before you're even listening to this. So uh, we shall see. All right, um, big picture across the conference. I have never remembered a year where almost every fan base Auburn doesn't count because they're Auburn. But almost every fan base in the league is some it has some form of excitement and optimism about their program. I cannot remember a healthier collection of coaches and rosters in the middle of this conference ever before. You could have twelve or thirteen teams get to a bowl game. Can you? Re- is the SEC better today than it's ever been before? It, it, it is, Rob. And here's why: do I, I do this when I go out and speak to folks? I said, all right, do this exercise. Take. take Alabama and Georgia and put them off to the side, put them over here. Okay. They're better than everybody else. We know. And we know why. Okay. Because of recruiting. Number two, take Vanderbilt and Missouri and put them over here onto the right. Now what you've got left are 10 teams in the middle. And I'm telling you, any of those teams, three through 10, any of those teams can beat any other of those teams. Those to me, Almost all of those matchups this year are going to be 50-50 games. They're going to be that close. You mentioned the middle class of the SEC. That's the middle class of the SEC, and I think it's 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 going to be more balanced with more good games than we've ever seen. Do, do you have a sense? I know the media picks Kentucky and Tennessee, and mm-hmm. then obviously and obviously A and M is the is the favorite to finish second, quote unquote, in the in the West with Arkansas. Those are the four that seem to be the overwhelming favorites to sort of rise to the top of that middle class. Do you agree with that? Do you have a sense of some other teams that you like to maybe be in that situation, or are you good with those four? Don't sleep on Arkansas. Just just don't sleep on Arkansas. I'm trying to tell everybody that. Right now, I've got Texas A&M finished second uh, in the SEC West. I can be talked out of that because I I am not sold on Texas A&M. Now, they could do it. They could have a great year. Great. Hope, wish him a lot of luck, but I'm not completely sold on Texas A&M. I think, but, but you got to look at them. You got to look at uh, Ar- Arkansas, what they've done. You've got to look at Tennessee, and I, I like Kentucky and what they've done there. So th- those are those are schools that definitely make up that middle class you were talking about. So you don't have somebody shocking the world. I mean, the way Auburn tends to do, or LSU, or South Carolina. Like I'm not buying the South Carolina thing. I, there's stuff to like, but you don't see anybody else kind of shocking the rest of that middle class and, and rising up to finish, you know, top 15 team in the country. I don't, I really don't maybe a team like Tennessee because they get Kentucky at home. Yeah. Uh, they have a proven quarterback who doesn't throw, who takes really good care of the football. But, you know, to me, to me, you got to prove it. I mean, look, look, Braden, let's be honest. Alabama and Georgia are a lot better than everybody else. You're going to meet in Atlanta I think they'll both be undefeated, and I think both of them go to the college football playoff, just like last year. Yeah, and I think they're they think they could play twice this year, just like last they year. Absolutely, well. can do it twice. That's it, right. It, you know, you mentioned Georgia. Like, I feel like Georgia, and this sounds so strange to say for a team that is ranked in the top four, that is picked by everyone to to win the East, and to your point, 
many people predicting myself and you included, it sounds like to go 12 and Oh, they have a national championship returning quarterback. They're defending champs. They've recruited better than everybody. Else. Like everything is lined up. Does it almost feel like Georgia's a little overlooked this year at all? And and obviously Kirby smart's going to use that to his advantage, but do you think there's actually a case to be made that people are undervaluing Georgia a little bit? Oh yeah. I mean, a buddy of mine who used to work for the Boston globe is on the, on the owner, a co-owner of the website, our website. Um, and he's he he's lived in Boston, worked for the Boston Globe forever. He called me the other day and said, "Why isn't there more hype about Georgia?" <laughs> With everything they got going for him, I said, "I said that is the nature, and you know that Kirby Smart is absolutely loving it. He's loving it. He's saying, guys, they think last year was an aberration. They thought we did it with smoke and mirrors. We got lucky. Alabama got hurt. You know." They, they don't believe in you guys, and I, he just loves it. And, and, and Georgia's a team, you know, it, it, because Alabama is coming back and Alabama's going to be really, really good, people said, okay, all right, the world returns back on its axis and Alabama's going to beat everybody. But, you know, I, I think Georgia's pretty good. Yeah, I, I think they're pretty good too. Um, Billy Napier and, and Brian Kelly, the two big new names at two powerhouse programs that – want to compete for national championships, two different, slightly different states of the roster when they got there, yep. but certainly very different levels of experience for both those guys. So this is kind of a two-part question, but I want you to compare the two guys and 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 tell me which one do you think has the most immediate success, Brian Kelly or Billy Napier, and which one do you think has the more long-term success? Okay. Most immediate success has got to be Brian Kelly and, and uh, LSU. I think Brian Kelly – look, look, let's be honest – LSU's problems never had anything to do with players, all right? They got plenty of players. They've always had plenty of players. The question is, who's coaching them up and who's the quarterback? And when the quarterback wasn't named Joe Burrow, they simply weren't as good as they were because they weren't as well coached as they were before. Brian Kelly was an inspired hire at LSU. Uh, He is the the ultimate CEO coach who's won every place he's ever been. He's the all-time leading winner at the University of Notre Dame, that's got to be worth something. And uh, so I think short term, he'll have one of the better athletic rosters he's had. Uh, And so, but long term, the Florida Gators are the Florida Gators. They've got, they've got so much going for them. One of the great recruiting bases. They're moving into an $85 million office workout training complex, which they've desperately needed. And you've got a relentless recruiting recruiter, as the head coach, which is something they didn't have before. So I think long-term, the Gators the Gators should be good. The Gators should be good every year, and they're going to be good sooner rather than later. They just don't have the roster to challenge in the East this year. They'll be, they'll be okay, but they're not going to win the East, and I'm not sure they're going to finish. I don't think they're going to finish second in the East. It feels like there's going to be so many recruiting wars in the East with Napier sort of up-leveling Florida a little bit. Shane Beamer is going to be a thorn in the side on the recruiting trail. And then Tennessee with Josh Heupel. Mark Stoops has sort of established his brand of recruiting. Heupel, it seems interesting because Florida's using NIL. Obviously, everyone who's who's good at this is using NIL. When you can outsource like 60 to 70% of your job to your collective to to help – does, doesn't that allow for athletic directors to hire more creative coaches like a Josh Heupel mm-hmm. instead of just the guy who's just like the egomaniac recruiting, like, like right. you know, weird, yeah, like, yeah. you know, those guys that are like Saban that are just like so focused on recruiting. Right. You, you don't have to hire a, a staff full of guys 
who are limited in the X's and O's, but they recruit the heck. They recruit like heck. So yeah, maybe you can be a little more discerning on the hires that you make. But you know, I'm, I'm still, I still don't know how the whole NIL thing is going to shake out. It, it, there's stuff now that we can't even conceive of that's going to happen in the next two to three years. And and look, and the players know what's going on. The players know that sooner or later there's going to be some kind of structure brought to this thing. So let's make our money now while we can rock and roll. So, yeah. 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 It seems interesting that Greg Sankey has been pretty openly, I don't want to say pissed off, but it's pretty pissed off that they spent two years working on an expansion format for the playoff only to have a bunch of people kind of, you know, again, a Washington state president and a Penn state president sort of got this ball rolling. And then they're the ones who voted against it. I've heard, we've heard the rumors of like an all sec breakaway, which I don't think anybody wants. I think it's just Mm -hmm. the threat. We've certainly now seeing a lot of rumors about 16 team playoffs, why would the SEC do anything but a 12-team playoff with plenty of at-large bids, bids for their league? The, the answer is they won't. There's no reason to. That the playoff plan – I mean, think about who worked on that playoff plan. Greg Sankey, Jack Swarbrick, Craig Thompson, and Bob Bowlesby, two, four of the most highly respected people in the business who were given the duty by the presidents, hey, guys, go out, find us a good playoff formula, and get back to us. And they did. And for the people incredibly respected, and all of a sudden, the folks in the Big Ten and the ACC and the Pac-12, the timing was awful when Texas and Oklahoma announced they were coming in. They, meaning the other three conferences, thought the SEC was getting ready to take over the world, and so they voted against it and created something called the Alliance. By the way, how's that working out for you? Uh, so no, it, it was a great opportunity. I mean, we're going to get there, Braden. We're going to get there and we're going to have a 12 team playoff and it's going to work out fine, but we could have had it done a year ago, if not for these commissioners who looked at it through a narrow prism, whatever word you want to use, this could have been done a long time. And it's, and the the heck of it is, is we're going to end up in exactly the same way. Yep. Um, when you look at the TV contract, ESPN signed the deal, you know, CBS long had the contract and, mm-hmm. and you were a part of that. And it was the, the most undervalued property in the history of live television. And sports. no question, then no ESPN, question. ESPN overpays for it. But before they're even going to start playing, could you make the case? And this is not a knock against the sec in particular. It's more just, could you make the case that by the time they actually start broadcasting, ESPN with the SEC at 330 on in 2024 that it's actually already under value in terms of the contract relative to what the Big Ten just got? Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. But I, I think once once we get to the point and all the numbers come in and the Texas and Oklahoma numbers come in, I don't think there's going to be that big of a gap. I really don't. Uh, so and, and again, I think the SEC feels pretty good about where they are right now. The fact that they they didn't have to go all the way out to the West Coast to beef up their television deal the way that the Big Ten did. I think when uh, Commissioner Sankey said, well, we're very happy having uh, 16 teams in con- contiguous, I love that word, contiguous states. Uh, so I, I think the SEC is very happy where they are. We are not expanding to Alaska and Hawaii. We are not going to do uh, that. We're just not going to do it. Absolutely. <laughs> I promise. Uh, all right. So I, I listen, I, I don't know um, if this is a question you can answer, but I've got to ask it because I want to see what you say. What happens in December for the Auburn Tigers? What are we talking about for the Auburn Tigers in December? 
Ask me that question five games into the season. The first five games for Auburn are all at home. Uh, two, that will be a challenge, Penn State and LSU. If Auburn can go four and one in those games, and I think that sort of holds the dogs at bay for a while. Uh, but And if things don't go well, that – I expect them to make a change. Wouldn't wouldn't be a smart change, but whoever accused Auburn of making yeah. smart changes? Well, it wouldn't be Auburn if it was any other way, Tony. That's well, and think about it. But here's what's interesting about that, though, Brady, is that last year you could tell the players at Auburn were not completely bought in. I think that was you know the way the tick they started out decent, and the way they finished with a total collapse down the stretch. But now I think the players are bought in. They saw how their coach was treated. They didn't like it, and it became a reflection on them, the way he was treated. But having said that, you can do all the motivation stuff you want to do in the world. If you don't have the people yeah. to beat, beat other people, it's not – and, oh, by the way, you, you're still playing in the SEC West, and you're still playing LSU and Texas A&M and Ole Miss and Mississippi State and Arkansas. You're still in Alabama. You're still playing all those guys. And And – I just, I just think it's going to yeah. be tough. And by the way, if you're Auburn, you not only do you have to play, Al, you have to play Alabama, Penn State, and Georgia in addition to the rest of your SEC West. It's, it's brutal. Got, brutal. Got, thought, thoughts and prayers to to, to Brian Harson for sure. Uh, that remind that 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 gives me a question though, because you've been around this a long time, and I feel like there's lots of coaches that are misunderstood outwardly. You know, Will Muschamp famously looked all like like he was pissed off at the world, but like when you actually get around Will Muschamp, he's actually mm-hmm. one of the most relaxing guys. Um, do you, who is the coach in your years covering the SEC that you think like was more beloved and respected and thought highly of by his players and the people that worked around him that like sort of the common public and the common fan just sort of didn't understand and get that? Does that make sense? Like who, who I, was I, I, I who think was, you're talking about Mark Stoops. OK, you're talking about a, a guy who 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 started in the conference. He started Owen, Owen, eight, two and six, two and six. People wanted him gone. And what do the, what do they do? The school rallies behind him. They invest two hundred million dollars into football facilities, and upgrade the stadium and build a big shiny complex. And the guy and people say, well, the guy's not this recruiting guru. All he does is recruit players and develop them. And so his players absolutely love it. They absolutely love it. The other guy I would mention along those same lines, the most misunderstood coach in this conference is Nick Saban. Nick Saban is a funny guy. When you sit down with Nick Saban, here's the thing about him. If you sit down with Nick Saban and you want to talk ball, he will sit there with you all day and talk ball. It's when you it's when you bring up, as we in the media are prone to do, you know, we bring up, well, you know, if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? And that, that kind of stuff, that that silliness. But the guy loves to talk ball. He loves he loves to talk about ball and he loves to talk about coaching ball. And he loves to talk about Bill Chel- Belichick and how he enjoyed driving him crazy when he worked for him. Yeah how how do you dis- how do you disguise a zero blitz with five defensive backs and three down linemen and that like then I, then he'll just spend thirty minutes explaining that to you. So. Well, I, I I spent I was in his office one time and and I was doing a story that basically that he had he has a prototype for every position player on the field exactly how big he's supposed to be, what he's going to look like. And I said, I said, is that true? And we were standing next to a whiteboard. He erased it. And he went position by position. 
this guy's got to be 6'2", 250, he's got to run the foot, and he has a prototype for every position on the field. And when you look at his team's play, you go, yep, you don't see any runs out there playing ball. No, it's uh, the meticulous nature of how he manages his janitors is even pretty impressive. So, um, uh, Tony, always a pleasure, man. Everybody check out the website. We do appreciate it. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. And football's here, baby. Football is here. Ready to go. Thanks, Tony. You bet. That was Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football, of course, uh, Sports Illustrated. Uh, go track them all down there. You got at Mr. CFB on the Twitters. Uh, he's great. He's awesome. He's spectacular. Uh, longtime friend there. And, yeah, he, he – the news this week was that – and we'll get to the Vandy Hawaii preview here in just a second. But the news this week, of course, was that, that it looks like we're going to have a nine-game conference schedule in the SEC. As Tony alluded to, it could be a one-and-a-seven or a three-and-a-six rotational format, I think, Go back and listen to one of our episodes, Aaron. We've explained what the three and the six and the one and the one and the seven do. Right. But I think the news is that it's coming, that it's coming and it's going to be a nine game conference schedule. I think it's the right decision for TV partners, for season ticket holders, uh, for rivalries, for new rivalries, old rivalries. It's just the right decision. So I'm glad that our better angels or our more greedy capitalistic angels have prevailed. Well, and just that the <laughs> that there's enough um synchronicity within the like these coach that word was hard for me to find no i I think it was right though i think it was right synchronicity yeah Yeah, amongst these coaches and the people that are making the decisions at the highest level so that we're not hung up on dumb stuff and because when you get stuck on decisions that like no one can agree on and they don't you know they're seemingly small i mean nine games over eight is, is not small it's not small on tv money it's not small from ticket sales numbers i mean all of that um but when coaches can kind of get over the hump of disagreeing and the people in power and get past it, then we get like actual improvements to the sport rather than just arguing about the same thing over and over. So it looks like everyone's coming around. It really didn't take that long. And I can't say I'm surprised because there's money involved. Yeah. It sounds like that they were pseudo split back in the spring meetings and right. that more and more, and even go back and listen to our interview with Ralph Russo. We talked to him right after that, and he was like, yeah, even when I talked to the guys who voted for eight, they they understand that it's going to go to nine, and they understand the values of nine and what they're going to gain out of it being at nine games as well. So it's not like it's some weird, bizarro thing that's happening. Um, it's weird, though, that I heard you say synchronicity, and I immediately pictured like Lane Kiffin and Sam Pittman and Mike Leach in like those Olympic swimming scuba hats, like doing <laughs> doing like swimming moves in the pool, like just doing synchronized can you imagine in the pool brian kelly with like one of those condoms on his head i think it would be great that actually is is a pretty funny thought i'm not gonna lie this is um, how my brain works they could raise a lot of money if they'd be willing to oh my god sec west coaches synchronized swimming performance for can money for charity <laughs> that's actually genius i'm not gonna lie i wonder who you could talk into i mean i got Derek mason to ride a tandem bike once anything's possible did you really yeah he rode it with me on a on a like whole video like 30 minute video piece for oh that's right yeah yeah and he was like aaron i'm the only sec coach doing this I was like, <laughs> well <laughs> did he give you so he gave you a bunch of shit for it yeah but he was a really good sport about it i mean it was fun we rode it all the way to a restaurant here and ate and that was for that was for charity right wasn't it um no, i think no? it was i think it was for the network i think we did oh, it for okay. sec network so definitely not charity hey hey, hey uh <laughs> 
But we did. We talked about boys and girls. Like he was big boys and girls club, big brothers, big yeah. sisters. So we talked about that, and they used it for some of their stuff. So we'll count it. But no. Hey, uh, hey, hey, Mark Stoops, uh, Brian, Brian Harson. Hey, Brian Harson, would you like to ride a tandem bike with me down to the Hound and grab some grub and talk about life, and then ride back to the Auburn facility with me? How would oh, that yeah. go over? Uh, probably not well. I just walked into <laughs> his office and I was like, Coach, I have a plan for this week, and hear me out on this. I'm thinking tandem bike and i already rented it and it's like dugan what are you talking about he gets we got on it he's like you know nick saban ain't doing this shit i was like that's true but sorry he wasn't he wasn't wrong um it was funny though anyways we yeah, I, I, thought, digress. I, I i remember the content it was great content i think you did a great job thank you um all right nick de la Torre coming up from uh, on three covering the florida gators gators online again awesome took the tour of the facilities has been at practice with the scrimmages. So we got a lot of good stuff for you Florida Gators fans coming up. So stay tuned for that. Uh, if you want to hear what's going on, what's wrong with the Florida Gators and what's right with the Florida Gators. So we'll do that in just a second. However, we do have football, Vanderbilt and Hawaii. And it just sounds strange to say in week zero on the road against a group of five team. But this is one of the more important games of the year for Vanderbilt. There is six yes. and a half point favorite. They have to win this game if they are going to hit the over this year, which is two and a half. Got to do it. Um, and as, even though Vanderbilt hasn't, obviously we didn't see a lot of productivity from Vanderbilt last year, they did return a lot of the, I mean, production. I know it's all relative because it was tough. But production-wise, Vanderbilt returns 69% from last year. Nice. Um, and, yeah, I thought you'd like that stat. I put it in bold. Um, and there are guys that have a lot of experience. The captains were announced. I actually had, um, not too long ago, maybe a week and a half ago or so. Um, a lot of guys that have been in the program for obviously a long time. I will say no O lineman, which was interesting, but, um, Elijah McAllister, like a great group of guys, guys that I have knew when I was working there. And I do think from, I mean, maybe if they're, even if there's not the most talent of any, like, you know, group of captains in the SEC. These guys have a lot of heart, have been through a lot with this program and are looking to try to at least prove some people wrong um, going into the season, even if that only means three wins. So yep. I, I yep. think it'll be exciting. And uh, Hawaii is brand new from top to bottom. So if Vanderbilt could pull this off, I don't know how the time change will affect things, but they've been over there for a couple of days already. And um, so hopefully they've had time to like get their, their clocks all evened out. Yeah, I'm kind of pissed that you're not coming to us live from like the, you know. So am I. Oahu, Mauna Loa, Volcano Resort and, and Beach Complex or whatever. Um, I really missed an opportunity there. I did, spend, I did spend six weeks on the Big Island one summer. That was cool. Did you? Um, uh, Diedrich Pearson is the running back for Hawaii. Keep an eye on that guy. So again, Saturday night, SEC after dark. I know we're all going to be watching because football, please God, be back. Um, but here's the deal. Hawaii, to your point about them being brand new, Hawaii is picked dead last in the Western Division of the Mountain West. This isn't even a good Mountain West team. This is a bad Mountain West team. Mike Wright is entering the second season now as the starting quarterback. I know last year was up and down for him, but he is clearly the guy right now. He needs to show progress, use the athletic ability that he's got, make some plays. Again, you're a touchdown favorite against a garbage Mountain West team. You have to win. And get this, this is my favorite part of the whole game so far, Aaron. Okay. The Director of Football Operations for Hawaii. Here's the quote. Vanderbilt has no idea what they're getting into. Oh. And they are, I believe, renovating the stadium currently. So the complex is like under renovation. So the capacity is 9,000 seats. Oh. It's like 9,500 seats. 
That's an interesting kind of threat to make then. It seems very odd to me, especially very. considering Vanderbilt's road schedule in the conference. Weird. Like, who does he think they play in the SEC? I don't know. I'm not suggesting this is how Vanderbilt's going to win because they overcame the hostile 9,000 and change environment. <laughs> but to suggest that they don't know what it's like to play in the road against hostile fan bases seems awfully dumb considering they play in the SEC. I don't know. Just my thoughts. That's interesting. I'm like, unless there's like, I'm like, is there an active volcano that could explain? <laughs> Otherwise, I'm a little bit confused as well. We um, are, we, the the Enfields are. It's like my five and four year old daughter. Like we're, we're playing lava. Floor is lava. Okay. Oh yeah. And the totally. end zones are lava, and that's why Vanderbilt hasn't scored most of the season. That could. So I mean, that would be understandable. Um, <laughs> I I don't understand that threat at all. So um, weird. So weird. What else do we want to talk about when it comes to no, these? Nothing. Games? I just it like. This is not a good Hawaii team. This is a Vanderbilt team that wants to make progress. This is a must. I hate to say must win situation because it's not. But like, right. if you want to win Vanderbilt three, to hit the over, it is. You have to win this game. You yeah. have to win this game if you're Vanderbilt. It, Show us the progress, Clark Lee. Show us. And I do feel like, you know, you have to just cross your fingers sometimes, you know, whether I'm a, speaking as a neutral third party media member or as a Vanderbilt fan, it's kind of just like you just don't know so you're like, please just kind of surprise us and show us some progress but what i will say is when these guys have been going into interviews i can't remember who it was it might have been anthony orgy um like he'll be the best he'll Rocco. be the best player on the field anthony For orgy. Sure. not yeah. even close yeah he had like 92 tackles last year he's very talented there is some like very specific number talent. yeah and i just read it actually right before it got on so i remember um the but the guys in interviews leading up to this, whether it be in Hawaii or um, in practice uh, in the past few weeks, they're talking a lot about we're just focused on how we're going to do it. We're focused on details, which honestly, at least we're not focusing on what they're going to do. They're talking a lot about how they're going to do it. I'm like, at least maybe, you know, the kind of know the ropes, like the playbook. And now we're able to go back yeah. to details and focusing on how you're going to execute of what you have planned or what the coaching staff yeah. has planned. So hopefully that's not just verbiage and it actually means something. Well, I like Vanderbilt minus the six and a half for whatever reason. I think they go out there and they get the job done. They prove it that progress is a thing. Just keep stay within yourself and play good sound football. And I think you can beat Hawaii. So I like Vanderbilt and we have an SEC football game. We just discussed how great is that? It's that's great. all that matters. Uh, all right. Uh, next up on the show, Nick De La Torre from uh, on three's gator site gators online this is had i had a great conversation with him he was super fun a lot of insight into the defensive front for florida the receiving core the special teams and of course he just took a tour of the facility so he gives us an update on what he saw inside the new florida gators 85 million dollar complex so we'll dive into that a little bit with him as well then we'll wrap this bad boy up so uh before uh before we let you go so when we come back nick de la Torre from gators online to talk florida gators Nick, good to have you, man. Football season is almost here. I know you're out there on the practice on the practice field and touring the facilities, and we'll get to all of that. But uh, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us. We appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, you can almost smell it. You got week zero just a couple hours away, it seems like, and yeah. uh, and then the rest of the college football world to follow next week. 
So um, I want to get to the the depth chart, and I want to get to the defensive line, and maybe even special teams. It sounds like for the Florida Gators. So we'll get to a lot of things today. But I do want to. You were you were tweeting this all all day on Monday. You got the tour of the facilities, the brand new eighty five million dollar indoor practice facility that was probably ten or fifteen years overdue. Um, <laughs> in, in so first of all, what was the highlight? What was your favorite part of the of, of the new facility for the Gators? And where do you think they now? can put themselves relative to to the other top tier SEC programs in terms of what they're selling to recruits? I think uh, to me, the efficiency of it all, uh, Florida really would have to get ready across the street at the stadium um, and then walk over to practice. Now it's, uh, you know, the locker room leads to uh, the weight room, which leads to the practice facility indoor and outdoor, uh, which leads you back into, you know, the, they call it the wet room, which has cold tubs, um, rehabilitation, trainers, just kind of having everything there, I think, is is probably the highlight for Florida. If you ask the players, it's probably uh, the lockers, which have, um, you know, all kinds of technology and, and stuff for them. So uh, I, I won't be spending much time in those $15,000 lockers. So for me, it was kind of just the efficiency that it'll bring the program. Uh, um, 15000 per locker, right? Yeah. Uh, that that's what they told us. Uh, that's what they told us. I I didn't I, I wasn't handed a receipt, um, but you know that'd be almost. They have 122 guys on the roster, so that'd be uh, close to a two million dollar bill if they were fifteen thousand per locker. So where where is it now relative? And I'm not suggesting that you've toured every facility in the SEC, but um, we, Florida fans have been complaining about this, and especially in Gainesville, of all places in the SEC, to not have an indoor practice facility seemed. Odd. Are, are they now on par with Georgia? I know Clemson, they recruit against Clemson as well. Uh, but if you look at the Bamas and the Georgias and the AMs and the Tennessees, yeah. the teams that they're going to recruit against, where where do they now feel like they stand? I think you're just on par. And it's kind of like you said, Florida probably should have had this facility uh, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago. Um, I, I wonder if this just puts you on par, but now in the NIL era, uh, does it matter that you have this or is it just – Okay, cool. That's nice. Um, but how much am I going to get paid by your collective uh, when I'm when I'm playing school there? So uh, when I'm playing football at your school, um, to me, that's kind of where things are shifting. So I think it's good that Florida has this. It's going to make uh, the quality of life better for the student athletes. And, and that's certainly part of the equation when you're recruiting. Um, but I don't know that, you know, these bells and whistles are necessarily what's going to draw athletes anymore when you're considering some guys are getting paid six figures to play football at, at schools across the country it's almost it feels like you almost kind of have to have like a baseline of like yeah. cool facilities and then after that it's going to be way more about wh where you're getting paid actual dollars instead of slides and cold tubs and everything else so all right let's let's get to the actual team and i know they've had a couple of scrimmages billy napier seemed uh, you know a little bit more satisfied with the second scrimmage maybe not from the tackling standpoint but Let's get to uh, sort of the the area that I think is the most concerning, and you can tell me if I'm wrong on this, but it feels like interior defensive line, depth at the, on the defensive line, you know, maybe even linebacker as well. You could, it, it seems like a freshman is taking reps as as the third or fourth stringer there. That was the group that gave this this team trouble under Dan Mullen. Wh where is this group now? Just six, seven, eight months into Billy Napier's tenure, uh, where they were six months ago. <laughs> you didn't have much time to get you know some new blood in there. I think Florida really actively Billy Napier and his staff really actively went after uh, a bunch of graduate transfers to kind of bolster the interior defensive line and, and just struck out there, you know, that's, that's going to happen, especially with a new coaching staff, but 
Uh, I think Florida's really deep on the edges. Um, you know, their jack position, their edge rusher is what they they call uh, the jack linebacker. And then at defensive end, you're, you're three, four, five deep at those spots um, on either side. Inside, you've got Gervon Dexter, who I think has, um, you know, all SEC potential. Um, but just a, just a junior, um, somebody who really didn't start playing football until his senior year of high school. So uh, a player that's still learning. And next to him, you've got, I think the starter will be Jalen Lee. And then after that, there's just guys, um, guys who were high three stars, four star recruits, but that we haven't seen yet. And, and I don't think Florida has really any concrete answers at interior defensive line at, at linebacker. You've got a tackling machine. I mean, Ventro Miller, if he was born in, in the 1950s, might be a Hall of Fame NFL linebacker. That's the style of football that he's going to bring. He's going to put his face mask into your chest and he likes um, he likes to tackle violently. Um, I don't know how well he's going to do in pass coverage, but against the run, he, he's a really good run-stopping linebacker. But looking at Utah, a team that really runs the ball well, my biggest question for Florida might get answered on September 3rd. Can they stop other teams from running between the tackles? So that, to me, is, is Florida's big question. Tackling was a, a massive issue in 2021, uh, will that again be an issue? Uh, and it's tough probably for every football team because you're not tackling, you know, the way they were when I was right. even in high school. You're not right. having two a days and you're not tackling guys to the ground. You're tackling, you know, foam donuts and, and pretending that that's a person. And then all of a sudden you've got a 200 pound running back coming at you at 20 miles an hour. And uh, that foam donut was a lot easier to tackle and bring down. Yeah. They don't have the sharp pointy knees. <laughs> that are like the, the, you know that the, the, the actual football players have yeah. um it you know that 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 group in particular and the matchups in particular because it's not just Utah I mean Kentucky's uh, wants to be a physical football team I know that game's in the swamp week two they're go Chris Rodriguez and company they're going to run the football you know they want to be physical Tennessee in week four on the road of course so it is two and two sort of I don't want to say best case scenario but do you walk away with a first-year coach, knowing that it's in the middle of a rebuild, knowing that they're trying to reestablish a new culture, is two and two something that the fans would walk away from? That, I mean, again, that's 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 maybe an upset in there potentially, and then they grow in the second half of the season. Is that the right way to approach the the evolution of the schedule? No, not not if you look at October. October gets uh, is always really tough for Florida with LSU and Georgia, um, a trip out to College Station. Um, I, I think yes. I, when I look at Florida's schedule, I've said all offseason, I think seven and five and eight, eight and four would be a great year for, for Billy Napier in his first year. Um, I don't think Florida is going to beat Utah. I, I haven't predicted that all summer. I don't think I'm yeah. going to come off of that before September. Um, I, I, I'm not as sold, I think, on Kentucky and, and Will Levis as some other people are. I'm definitely not sold on Tennessee. I think Hennon Hooker is a really good quarterback, but I, I wonder if Tennessee is a six and six football team. And I think a lot of people are writing Florida off. Um, as that game is in Knoxville, I think famous last words for all Tennessee fans to say, we're just going to beat Florida. Yeah. Well, but I know how Tennessee's schedule goes. They lose to Florida and they lose to Alabama. Uh, then they get the Kentucky, you know, and, and Vanderbilt at the end of the year, you win the Liberty bowl and now you've reeled off four in a row <laughs> and, and you're the preseason or the postseason sweetheart, uh, you know, heading into the next year. So I've seen that Tennessee, um, show before. I think Florida, though, getting back to it, two and two would be would be fine. You know, it's, it's wild. I, I lived 31 years before Kentucky had ever beaten uh, Florida and, and Dan Mullen accomplished that feat twice in the last four years. But it's more of a, a testament to 
the team that Mark Stoops has put together. And, and they play to an identity. Like you said, they're fast. They're physical. They're going to run the football and they're going to yeah. try to impose their will. Um, how does that start? If Florida starts the season off, Owen too, I, I, I don't, I, I might need to take some PTO. Uh, I don't know if I want to <laughs> deal with the fan base after uh, an 0-2 start, but I think that's a possibility. Um, I don't know that fans will be happy with a 2-2 two two start, uh, to answer the really yeah. the crux of your question. Um, maybe it, it depends on how those games look. Do you get starched by Utah 38-5 or 38-3 to uh, to start the year? That's not going to leave a good taste in anyone's mouth. And, and if you let Kentucky beat you at home two straight trips to Gainesville – that's not going to leave any Florida fan happy. So I don't know um, that Florida fans would be happy with two and two. And then I think a, anything other than a three and one start, you're starting to look at, you know, more towards that seven and five finish yeah. um, that, that, I, that I think it might be the floor. Well, I'll, I think the number right now is seven, right? In Vegas for the win total. So I'll get your pick hey, on that. Uh, I'll get they your pick don't on build that. Palaces out in the desert. No, for they don't. Wrong. <laughs> no, they don't. The, the, the pyramids are made of solid gold for a reason. <laughs> Um, so what about the offense? I mean, Anthony Richardson is, is clearly the guy. I think anybody who watched him last year, the obvious upside is just, it's just there. It's painfully obvious. And Napier felt comfortable enough bringing him, uh, you know, to media days and all that stuff. So I don't even think I need to ask about him. My question is, is, you know, they ran the football extremely well. That was an issue for so many years for Florida. They ran the ball very well last year. So how good is the offensive line this season? And then more importantly, I think, and you tell me if I'm wrong, the weaponry on the outside, just all the different pieces that we are normally accustomed to seeing Florida just churn out one guy after the other. Do they have that same caliber of weapon on the outside? Uh, we'll run through it. Anthony Richardson could be the answer to the question. What if Cam Newton never stole a laptop <laughs> and didn't have to leave Florida? Um, that's the kind of potential he has, and he is going to be part of that running game. Um, I, I look at Florida's team, and you've got – Four running backs, really, with uh, Montrell Johnson, um, Naquan Wright, Lorenzo Lingard, and the freshman um, Trevor Etienne. That's a stable of running backs. You have four returning starters on the offensive line. Uh, one of them it wasn't a Gator starter, but a three-year starter at Louisiana and Osiris Torrance, who is an AP second-team preseason All-American, hasn't given up a sack in three years. Uh, and then right tackle Mark Michael Tarquin, who was a new starter, but Florida's strength is going to be the offensive line and a deep stable of running backs, which also includes a six foot four, 240 pound quarterback that can run yeah. the football as well. I've said 60, 40 run to pass. I think that'll be what Florida is um, because to answer the, the last part of your question, they don't have those guys outside. Florida has a lot of receivers that are built in the same mold. They're long striders. They are fast, but it, it takes them a while to get to that top speed. So you can beat somebody over the top, but they don't have a guy like a Kadarius Tony that you're going to throw the ball to uh, on a screen or that you're going to throw a little drag to just to get him in space and he can make somebody miss. They were able to get somebody that fits that mold and Ricky Pearsall, but he's been injured. Um, hopeful, Florida's hopeful that they'll get him back for September 3rd with uh, a bone bruise in his foot, but he's really the only guy in that mold. So the one guy you have that's different than the other 10 receivers um, on your roster. So I think Florida's offense will be pound the ball, try to control the tempo. And then when you've lulled the defense into bringing eight, nine guys in the box, hit them with a play action pass. I think that's really going to be Florida's equation to, to trying to win football games this year. 
What's funny about th- this team is it feels like they've always been extremely good at in the specialist department, whether that's punt return, kick return, punter, kicker. Of course, you know, the, the Evan McPherson just dominating in the NFL last year in for the Bengals in the playoffs. What is this a concern? Is this something that Billy Napier is worried about actually right now affecting the win loss record? Well, you've got a punt, you've got a punter, uh, and Aussie coming back and Jeremy Crawshaw. So that's a, uh, my punters are people two shirts somewhere at the house. Uh, I don't know where it is, but, but that's set at kicker. I think you've got a competition that might go all the way to September 2nd. Um, Adam Mihalek is a redshirt freshman walk-on. Um, and then you have Trace Mack, who was a member of the last recruiting class. And, and the two of them, I think you'll continue to see a kickoff until kickoff. Um, and, and obviously uh, Florida fans want the guy who's on scholarship to win the job. But to me, uh, if you're the head coach of the football team and a, and a walk-on wins the job, okay, that's fine. You know, that, that's a free a free kicker for us. But I, I don't know that one or the other has been significantly better. Mihalik had uh, two conversions, converted both of his kicks in the spring game, one from 52, one from 48, and Trey Smack has a, a, a huge leg. You've, I've seen him kick uh, from as deep as 60. So um, it'll be interesting to see. Maybe you have one guy handle kickoffs and, and one guy's handling field goals, okay. but – um, I, I don't really have a great answer for who will handle that job yet. How, how much is the fan base going to balance recruiting success, which Florida's on a tear right now, and some of that is just Billy Napier, time on the job, the culture, the facilities, the NIL, like sort of all of it packaged together, sort of starting to get up and running a little bit. H- how much of that will be taken into account when fans evaluate the win-loss record? Let's say it is seven and five and they lose to Kentucky or Tennessee and Utah and A&M and Georgia. Like there's a lot of tough games. And so like, uh, like if they're seven and five fans are not feeling great, but the recruiting class is top 10. How do they balance those two things when they evaluate the season? Well, I think it's like you said, there's a balance. It's a pendulum. Um, Are you losing to Georgia 40, 40 to nothing? Well, uh, you better jump up another recruiting spot in in the off season for that. So if you have close losses, I think you can sell the fan base. Listen, we inherited a mess or we, we inherited a roster that didn't have the talent that we needed. um, And, and we'll get it together. Look, these games were close. We, we were, we lost to Georgia by a score. We went on the road at AM and and lost by three points. Um, you can sell that better than, you know, getting the, the break speed off of you all season long. And then a top 10 class and the SEC might still be fourth in, in the conference. So uh, it, it's hard to sell top 10 when, when that should be, you know, a goal. Hey, we had a top 10 recruiting class. Well, okay. Well, you're behind AM, Georgia, Tennessee, Miami yep. Yep. and Alabama. And it's like, okay, well, it doesn't sound good anymore. So I think it's a pendulum. It's how do the losses look? Are you competitive? Can you point and say, look, I understand seven and five is not what any fan wanted, but you can see we're headed in the right direction. We're competing, even though I don't have my guys on the roster yet. And look, now I've got the eighth class in the country. I'm going to get my guys in. And it's going to be better. I, I want to get your pick on the over under, but this is a totally random question. Um, I have my own personal feelings towards Urban Meyer. What, what what are the fan? How did the fans at Florida like? What is their relationship? How do people view Urban Meyer? Like just a, just a regular old Florida fan. Like, do they love the guy? Do they hate the guy? Do they appreciate it? Do they think he's kind of garbage like most of us? Like, what, what's great? Great it's coach, by the way. Great coach. It's interesting that you bring it up because Florida is going to put Urban Meyer in in their ring of honor that they haven't yet. Um, obviously, uh, he left and then went somewhere else. And I don't think they're going to put him in as he's not Steve Spurrier, 
They weren't going to put him in the Ring of Honor as he was coaching Ohio State's national championships. Um, they've kind of brought Urban around to gauge the the temperature of the fan base, and I think it, I think people have softened. Um, I grew up a Florida fan, and I viewed Urban Meyer as a mercenary. Like Florida was going to war, yeah. didn't have the guys to win the war, so they hired somebody from the outside, and he did it better than any other coach has ever done it at Florida. Um, people were angry with the way he left and the, and the shape of the team, but I think those people have kind of uh, come around. Time has softened that a little bit. But to me, Urban Meyer wasn't a Gator. He, he wasn't born in Gainesville. He didn't go to Florida. He's not Steve Spurrier. He came here to do a job. He did it really well at Florida um, and gave Florida fans probably the best four years of football they've ever had or, or may ever have. Um, so to me, the fans that were angry at the way he left, it was like he didn't owe Florida anything. He was collecting checks and, and doing his job. Yeah, hi- hiring the mafia to win a war with like a foreign yeah. adversary. Is, Don't is, be is, mad when the mafia leaves. I, right, exactly. They're going to start throwing bodies into that Jersey Jersey Shore anyway. Um, all right, seven is the number. Like I kind of like the over, but the more and more I think about it, the more and more I see the push is probably the bet here. If you got to throw a bunch of money down, where, what are you doing? Yeah, if uh, if I'm putting you know my next mortgage payment down on it, or if I'm putting the the house on it, I, I would go over. I think I've got Florida losing uh, to Utah, um, Georgia, Texas A&M, so that puts me at three losses. Uh, Florida always seems to lose a game that they shouldn't, whether that's South Carolina last year or Kentucky last year. That would get me to four, uh, and and I think eight and four. Uh, it would be the number that I land on. All right. And now, if Anthony Richardson gets hurt against Utah, the under. <laughs> hammer the under before they take the line off if Anthony Richardson goes down for any extended period of time. Well, and we have no idea what Florida State will look like by the end of the season. Uh, who who knows? Who knows? Uh, Nick, thank you so much, man. We really appreciate it. Uh, of course, check out all his great coverage on three Gators online. You got the whole deal. Uh, the Twitter account's great as well. You can go tour the facilities with him. Uh, it was awesome. So uh, thank you so much for joining us. We do appreciate it, man. Enjoy the season. Thanks for having me. Well, that's the show for today. Nick De La Torre, Tony Barnhart, CBS theme song, nine-game conference schedule, Georgia Bulldogs are underrated, Vanderbilt minus the six and a half, give me the doors on the road. College football is here. Aaron, how are you watching the alma mater on Saturday night? Kickoff, I believe, 9.30 Central Time, God's time. How are we, how are we watching on Saturday night? Well, I'm going to be with friends on Saturday. I have to work some in the morning, but I'm going to be with friends that day because my birthday's on Thursday. Happy birthday. Thank you. So at, I think I'll go to dinner and then go. We'll go at the Aaron Dugan. Ha- wish her happy birthday on the Twitters. Thanks. Um, we'll probably go to dinner and then watch the game, but I don't know where. Interesting. Are you just, more of a like? I get to a, make a all of my house? friends watch a Vanderbilt football game because it's my birthday, and so everybody has to do it. But if y'all are all going to be out hanging out, this is what I love about like games like this. It's like if you're all going to be hanging out Saturday night anyway, why not just put on a college football game? That sounds great. That's a great little like nice little uh, chef's kiss on the evening. You know what I mean? I think half of my friends will be really excited about that, and then the other half won't care. But right. they don't get to pick. It's not their birthday. I can't wait for my whole family to go to sleep and I can watch Vanderbilt and Hawaii late at night on a Saturday. No pants, glass of whiskey, sign me up. Can't wait. Let's roll, baby. College football is here. Next week, we'll have an entire actual preview of week number one with like real football games to get to. Cannot wait. No more speculation. Special thanks to Nick De La Torre. Special thanks to Tony Barnhart. Of course, everybody, give Aaron a follow. Where can they follow you? 
the Aaron Dugan on Twitter and Aaron underscore Dugan on the gram. What about you? Check out the YouTube page. Of course, you can get to me on Twitter at Braden Gall at 440 Sports. Uh, we appreciate you guys hanging out and listening with us. Enjoy week zero, everybody. We, be- we will be back next week. Easy for me to say. This has been Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. Da, 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 da. I thought you were going to help me. Da, 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 da. Thank you. <laughs>